Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Merry Christmas. Good morning. Christmas is the feel-good holiday, right? You know, Christmas cheer, gift-giving, over-the-top indulgence in food. In other words, Christmas for most people is about nostalgia and tradition. And we're going to have that on display here toward the end of the service with our kids. They'll be up here with candles. They'll be battery-powered candles. Please do not give a child real fire. Um, and you'll see why. You'll, you'll hear a few thuds on the ground as they drop their candles. So we, we want battery-powered candles in kids' hands. But for most people, like I said, Christmas is nostalgia and tradition. It's the feel-good holiday. But if you peel that back, the very first Christmas uh, was in the context of real darkness, of real uh, pain and suffering. In fact, the Advent verse that we're going to read here a, bit, a little bit later from Isaiah 9 says that those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, a light has shown. So, so Christmas wasn't a tradition just to give people a little bit of pick-me-up. Like that wasn't the big idea, but a necessary action to bring light and healing to darkness and utter brokenness. And it's easy to, for us to think, well, that was then and, and, and this is now. I mean, they didn't have Netflix and two-day shipping. Of course, it was darkness. Of course, they, had, they struggled. But the darkness the Bible speaks about isn't just circumstantial. It wasn't about the government. It wasn't about the systems of the world, but darkness in the human heart. And so the ancient people knew this. And so when the long awaited Messiah burst onto the scenes, it was quite an event. What we're going to read today, what I'm going to read for you is the iconic scene. It's the iconic Christmas scene. It's very familiar to all of us. Uh, it's the one that Linus reads. If you're into Christmas movies, you know, Peanuts, Charlie Brown, okay. He reads it, Luke 2, very famous, but maybe there's some things in here that you don't, we don't often think about. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds, that's who we're going to talk about today, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for all the people. We've been doing a series about joy to the world and about all the, the people that sometimes we don't think about that are included, but, but are for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Now, it was common in this culture that when you had the birth of a firstborn son, you would hire a herald to go tell everybody what just happened, at least the ones that you knew. And the size of the herald or the, uh, the impact of the herald depended upon whether you had a little or a lot. So if you were kind of a mom and pop shop, uh, didn't have very much money, you know, your, your herald, you know, you might took an ad out in the newspaper, did your little Instagram post. You did the picture, of course, didn't hire. So that was your herald. 
But if you, if you had a lot of money, you, you went huge. So maybe you're Amazon and you do a halftime Super Bowl ad. You're that big. And what do you do when you're heralding uh, the firstborn son of God? Well, you go large. And so an angelic host. And, and in this scene, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? The angels in this scene make a lot of sense. The blessing of the world. Jesus, the Savior. He's being born. Angels make what doesn't make sense is who they herald the message to. They go to these shepherds. They didn't go to the temple. That would have made sense. You know, go to the religious leaders. They didn't go to the temple. They, uh, they didn't go to Rome, the center of the known world. They didn't go to Rome. They didn't go to Herod. You know, he was a king at the time of this region. They go to shepherds. And shepherds might seem quaint to us. You know, their cute little robes with their iconic little, you know, hook staff and little sheep in tow. But they were anything cute to the ancient Israelites. The shepherding was the lowest form of labor available. It was the ultimate expression of unskilled labor. It was the work of migrants or children, a job, uh, you know, think like midnight shift worker at White Castle or whatever your favorite fast food place is. That's where they work. So if you were a Jewish adult and you were still a shepherd, it was considered a total life fail. They were almost universally known as thieves, men of ill repute, men who would not have been trusted. Their, their testimony was not accepted in court. They would have been pulled out, you know, uh, um, anonymously out of a TSA line. They, they, would have been, they would have always been in trouble, not respected, despised, rejected outcast in society. And yet these were the people that God would herald his announcement to. Like, I'm looking for a team. You want it on the team. This is who he's going to. Not the best of the best, but the lowest of the lowest. I know years of commercial have made this whole scene very, very plastic. So it's hard for us to imagine, but these guys are at the bottom of the, the, the social ladder. Nobody thinks you're up to any good. And all of a sudden, these angels burst out of the sky. You know, they're behind a rock smoking a meth pipe. And they're like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, putting out, um, putting out their cigarette. What, what, what are you, you coming for me now again? They would not have been expecting this. Nobody would have been expecting this. They were on the bottom yet. The angel says, I've got good news of great joy for all people. And you're a part. I want you on the team. When you're putting together a team, you want the best of the best. I have responsibility uh, with the staff, and when we are looking for staff people, we're looking for the best people we can find, not the worst. So we need someone to look over finance. We're not, oh, you're, you're, you've embezzled? Okay, you're on the team. We don't do that. You don't do that either in your job. Oh, you, you, know, you can't keep your life together? Vice president. But this is exactly what... Is going on here. They're going to the bottom to begin this new reality. The savior of the world, the, the, good news for, the good news for all people comes to the bottom of the ladder. It's like when Paul talks about like this treasure that's God makes his home in these fragile jars of clay that's you and I to make himself glorious. So who are these shepherds? Well, in a word, they're outcasts. They're outcast, and I, I just want to give you four ways that they are outcast, and to see if we can't identify with them. First of all, they are economic outcasts. That's pretty obvious. They're poor. They're in poverty. They have, they don't have two pennies to rub together, 
And poverty is not a sign that God has forsaken you or that in your life you're somehow second class or that you have no future. In God, you have, God has something for you. He wants to bless your life with good. And this starts with something that he wants to give you that's way better than money. In fact, Jesus taught that abundant life is not first and foremost for those who have houses, who have success, who have money, who have dreams, who have potential. Ironically, Jesus says the poor are usually in a better situation to receive abundant life than the rich because their hands are not full of wealth, they're not full of success, they're not full of dreams, but they are yearning for God. God loves to fill empty hands. So if you're poor this Christmas, if you found yourself down on your luck, believe it or not, God can offer you something better than money. He offers himself. He has come to put you on his team. He's for the economic outcast. He's for the social outcast. Jesus came for, for those whose lives are messy. The shepherds were not together people. They were not the it crowd in society, far from it. They didn't graduate top of their class. They were not exemplary. Nobody came for them for advice. They were people whose lives had gone completely off the rails. That, this is where the shepherds, their life was a total mess. And maybe you feel like this this weekend. Maybe you're actually watching this online by yourself because you've made your life a mess, career a mess, relationships a mess, life fraught with addictions, and the worst part is you haven't told anyone, so you feel not only like you've made your life a mess, but you feel all alone in it. You feel like nobody cares and nobody wants you. Jesus wants you. He came for messy people. It's in his name, Jesus the Messiah. Some of these jokes have to be for kids, all right? Okay. One of my favorite names in all the Bible for Jesus is what we read about in Isaiah 9, the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. That name in Hebrew means reliable guide, someone who leads from a place of authority. So this is not a counselor that just comes alongside and pats you on the back. I mean, thank God for those, but this is beyond that. Uh, he is someone who can help you with this, your problems because he has authority over them. He can guide you through your problems because he knows the end from the beginning. He can guide you through darkness because he is the light. He can lead you through the valley of death because he has been through death and back for you. And I just love that name because it just communicates loud and clear that he came for people with problems. I mean, that's why you go to a counselor in the first place, right? Like you don't, go, you know what? I need to kill a couple hours and I need to get rid of 150 bucks. I'm gonna go to a counselor. You go to a counselor because you have this felt sense that I need a little guidance, I need some help, uh, I, I've got some issues I need to work through. If you have problems, Jesus came for you. This may be one of the most obvious statements I can make, but every miracle that Jesus did started with a problem. He didn't just do miracles to do miracles. He never did loops over the Sea of Galilee. His miracles were not a suspension of the natural order. They are a return to the natural order. He healed blindness. He cured sickness. He calmed storms. He multiplied food for the hungry. The good news is if you have a problem, God wants to do a miracle in your life. The bad news is if you don't have any problems, no miracle. And maybe you today, like when we pray for people, we'll do that a little bit later. Maybe we'll pray for you that God will give you a problem so that you can experience the wonderful counselor. 
He's come for pro- he came for people with problems, the messy people. He wants you on the team. He came for relational outcasts. He came for economic outcasts, for social outcasts. He came for relational outcasts, people who feel forgotten. Not just by society, but maybe even people, your friends and family. You feel forgotten. You feel on the outside. You feel invisible, like nobody notices. God's come for you. That's what he says very loudly. In coming to the shepherds, by bringing them on the team, he's saying, I have come for those who feel forgotten. The psalmist felt this way, felt, uh, felt forgotten, abandoned by society, but he experienced a wonderful counselor. And he had this psalm to say, it's 18 verses, bear with me. Psalm 139 Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind me, before me. Your hand lay upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there too. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be um, about me by night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every single one of them, the days that were before me, before there was even a single one of them. God's saying like, man, when you were, before your mother knew that she was pregnant, I knew you. You knew me, God. You knew me before my mother knew she was pregnant. You knew me and you were working out my days. You were planning every single day. You were thinking about every single day of my life. You were giving careful attention to every detail of my life. He continues, how precious are your thoughts to me, about me, oh God. How vast is the sum of them? If I were to count them, they are more than the sand of the sea. In our relationships, at times, sometimes the people that we know and love make us feel like they didn't give a thought about us all day. Did you think about me once? Did you think about me twice, three times, four times, five times? Well, how often is he communicating? This is, God, this is how seen I feel by you. I feel like your thoughts about me are like the, the grains of sand by the sea. Think about how many grains of sand are by the sea. I mean, we're Missouri, maybe a bad analogy, but imagine it. Trillions, quadrillion, whatever that number is, whatever the highest number is. That's how often he thinks about you. You're not forgotten, not by him anyway. Um... I don't know if you've seen the movie Sister Act 2. But there's a song in there by Lauren Hill called His Eye is on the Sparrow. She writes, why do I feel discouraged? Why do the shadows come? Why does my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? Jesus is my portion. My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. You ache to be special to someone. You're special to him. You ache to be to matter to someone, you matter to him. He's looking for it on his team. He's recruiting the economic outcasts and the social and relational outcasts. And finally, and I would say most importantly, the spiritual outcasts. I mean, shepherds were just dishonest thieves, 
just known to be up to no good, yet Jesus wants them on his team. He wants the guilty. He wants those who know they are guilty. The shepherds knew they were guilty. And this simultaneously made them feel like they didn't count, like they were not included. That's what guilt does to you. I'm not, I mean, even if, even if I wanted to pursue God, I don't think he wants me. I'm not his type. I can't be on his team. This may help. Nobody's his type. No one seeks God, not even one. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Think about your best day. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's a good day and ever since the, I mean, you good at work, you look good, smell good, good hair day. I mean, everything, you did good. You found something good. Everything was perfect. Not even close. Guilty. Guilty. So this guilt that we feel makes us feel like we're not close, but actually the guilt of the shepherds made them candidates. It's no coincidence that the angels chose to make the announcement to him because Jesus was so clear. I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. I've not come for the righteous, I've come for the unrighteous. Jesus came for those who recognize that, for those who need a savior, for, 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 for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, a savior, not, not, not a teacher, not a guru, not a, not a life coach. And the angels are heralding, not, hey, look, hey, I got some good advice. If you buy my program, you can make your life better. He says, I've come to give you good news. A savior is born. That's what we need. We need a, a savior. The scandal of the gospel is not that Jesus loves bad people too, the scandal of the gospel is he only loves bad people. That's because he's the only kind. Jesus came. His life, the essence of his life was substitution. He lived a life that we should have lived. Not just the life that he thinks we should live, the life that we think we should live. We don't live the, we don't live the life that we should think we should live. He lived the life we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. He, his life, the essence of his life was substitution to make his name great. So maybe just maybe it makes more sense now why the angels chose the shepherds, why he chose the bottom of the barrel. He came for the poor, the messy, the forgotten, the guilty because they are in a posture to receive it. So how'd they respond? How, do, how should we respond? When the angels had left and returned to heaven, the shepherds probably like had to change their drawers, said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off, found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which they had just been told. Two things happened to them. They, they became worshipers and they became heralds. They became worshipers and they became heralds. The, 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 the first worship service 
was not filled with a bunch of pretty nice people. Didn't look like this. Didn't have a suit on. I mean, I don't even have a tattoo. Like, he had nothing. Like, just the first worship service was of this group. The first heralds, the first people whose testimony was not admitted in court. God, in his wisdom, said, these are the men who are going to declare, be the first ones to declare on earth that I'm here and I'm a savior. What does that tell you about who he wants to include? So that's what we do. We worship. Life's pretty simple. If you trust in Jesus as your savior, you worship him, you herald the good news. You worship him, you tell others about him. You worship him, you tell them. And it, it, you come to that point where you, ha- you realize that I, I, I'm a terrible leader of my life and I need something outside of me to help me. I need something outside of me to help me. You realize that all of history is just telling us that every attempt that we make is just more proof that we're not the leader that we need to be. We're not the savior of our own life. I mean, there's a day where we once thought asbestos was a good idea. I mean, it's cheap. It somehow, you know, is both able to resist moisture and fire. I don't know how you do that. So let's put it in everything. Bad idea. You breathe it, it'll kill you. It's expensive to get rid of. Let's put lead in paint. Let's make Velveeta cheese. Every time we try to be the answer to the problems that we have, we just make it worse. Reminds me, I'm going to embarrass my daughter Ella here. When she was one, she, high chair, eating spaghetti. What happens when a kid eats spaghetti? It gets it on their arm. I said, honey, you got some spaghetti. So she just begins to try to wipe it all off. And all she does is make it worse. The more she tries to clean herself up, the worse she makes it. Have you come to the place where you finally realize the more you try to clean up your life, the worse that you make it? The more we try to fix the problems of the world, whatever you think they are, the worse that we make them. We don't need advice. We don't need a teacher. We need a savior. And he has a name. It's called Jesus. So this is a gift. It's like in that regard, the gift of salvation is like any other gift. You know, kids, if you see a gift under the tree with your name on it, the only way that you're going to get that gift is if you receive it. Like this gift right here. This gift has a name on it. it. has Maya Harris name. Is there Maya Harris here? Where's Maya Harris? Maya, would you come up here? This gift has your name on it. Would you want this? Would you do, sure? Would you do me a favor? Can you, is, that, is that empty or does it have something in it? It has something in it, so it's not just a fake gift. I wouldn't do that to you. It's a real gift. It's yours. You can have it. Go ahead. The gift of um, salvation is just like that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he wrote on that gift your name. And maybe this morning you're hearing your name called out. I am one of those. I am an outcast. I don't want to admit it, but I am, an, I am one of those. You hear, well, I've got a gift for you, God says. But it only do you any good is if you pick it up 
and receive it. You become a worshiper. You become a herald, just like the shepherds. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for us. We're going to continue in our service. We'd love to connect with you. There's a a card in your seat. We'd love to connect with you, get you in a group. If you feel like, man, I need friends, family around me. I need, I need to understand. I feel this calling toward God. I need to know what to do with this miracle that we believe that God wants to kickstart in your life. We want to help you with that. We want to show you the plans and help you discover the purpose that he has for your life. If you've never thought God has ever given two thoughts about you, we want to show you how much he cares and loves for you. And he, the ultimate expression of that is what happened 2,000 years ago on a quiet night in Bethlehem in the darkness. A child was born, a savior, who would live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. He lived a substitutionary life for you and for me. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you love the world so much that you gave us the ultimate gift. And God, I pray today that we would be those that see that you put our name on it. And we would be those that would gladly and with great joy go get our gift. That we would see this as good news. It's only good news if we understand our darkness. It's only good news if we understand that you're the light. God, we just don't want this to be true news. We know facts about you. We've grown bored of those facts. This is good news. It's not just true news. It's good news. Because of where we were what you have done. Just thank you for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I pray that we'd move beyond the tradition, the nostalgia. God, we would see that you are our Savior. You have saved us from darkness. You brought us into light and life.